This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. I'm Laura Wenis, and this is Fifth and Mission. San Francisco's Tenderloin neighborhood is in the midst of a crackdown. It's the latest of several enforcement pushes by an administration that's under huge pressure to reduce overdoses that are killing hundreds of people each year and to clean up drug dealing and use on the streets. In the last three months, officers from several agencies have made hundreds of arrests in the Tenderloin. Mayor London Breed, who previously declared a state of emergency in this neighborhood, is now collaborating with Governor Gavin Newsom. The California Highway Patrol and even the National Guard are working on this effort with local police. But it's not just dealers being arrested. The spike in arrests is driven by detentions of drug users. And while these arrests come with an offer of treatment, very few people have accepted. This is a deeply controversial strategy. Officials who are leading the charge for stepped-up enforcement say it's really about sending a message that open drug use and dealing won't be tolerated. Critics say arresting drug users isn't effective and can in fact be counterproductive. Meanwhile, residents and business owners who are eager for change in the neighborhood say they're not seeing results yet. City Hall reporter Aldo Toledo has been on the ground and inside City Hall watching this crackdown unfold, and data reporter Susie Nielsen has been crunching the arrest numbers. They're here to tell me how this initiative is shaping up so far. Aldo, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. Susie, good to have you back. Lovely to be here. The biggest question about these crackdowns has got to be about the results. Aldo, you didn't just report the story from your desk. You actually went to the Tenderloin. Describe the scenes that you encountered there. Yeah, I mean, the Tenderloin looks pretty much exactly what it's looked like in the past few years. I think the big difference that I'm seeing is during the daytime, there are not as many drug dealers and users kind of congregating in specific corners. So you definitely have seen some areas thin out. But what you see also is folks moving to different corners and different blocks to do exactly the same thing. Some of the business owners I talk to say it's seeing the same faces every day, doing the same things. But if we just look at the numbers, Susie, we can see that something has changed. I was reading this story from NBC Bay Area, which reported that the drug crackdowns were yielding unprecedented results. I think we've heard that language a few places. And that's a reference to arrests and drug seizures. How are those numbers changing? Yeah, so I have also heard the word unprecedented used a lot in this conversation. And Mayor London Breed a couple weeks ago said in a tweet that they were arresting record numbers of people for drug-related crimes. And it's true on a several-year timeline, but it's definitely not true when you look kind of zoomed out. So San Francisco law enforcement are making more drug-related arrests in the last couple of months than they've made in about 10 years. So the last time that drug arrests were this high was in 2014. That was a long time ago before a lot of kind of drug reforms, like drug criminalization reforms. And what was really interesting to me and Aldo when we looked at the data was that this increase is largely being driven by a really large increase in what we called non-sales arrests. What does that mean? Yeah. So like 
you know, if you think about the types of drug crimes we're looking at, we're one, looking at dealers, so people who are possessing a lot of drugs with the intent to sell them. And that's what a lot of city officials have agreed is kind of the what they want the point of the spear to be pointed at, basically, like people who are dealing these drugs in large quantities. And then there are the users, people who are walking around with maybe smaller amounts of fentanyl or heroin or meth, and they're using them. Maybe they have needles on them. Police can arrest people for those crimes, too. And what we're seeing is this huge increase in the arrests of users. So for crimes like possession or public intoxication is another one or, you know, possession of needles, things like that. That number has just soared in the last couple of months. To contrast that, arrests for drug sales have been a lot more varied over the last couple of years, so they've kind of gone up and down. They are higher right now than they've been in a decade, but they're not that much higher than the last couple of years, whereas with the non-sales arrests, it's just like night and day different. One argument in favor of this approach has been from people who say that getting arrested is sometimes the only thing that will get someone who isn't able to function because of their addiction to accept treatment. There have been hundreds of arrests in recent months. Around 300 of those were on charges not related to drug sales and people who were eligible to enter drug treatment programs. And it's only in nine cases that people have accepted treatment, according to your reporting, Aldo. Can you unpack those numbers for us a little bit more? Nine people total, according to the sheriff's office, accepted treatment after getting to jail. Apparently, eight of those were unique individuals, and then one of them was twice they accepted treatment. Once they accepted and went back to doing drugs, but then afterward accepted treatment again. So really, it's eight individuals that actually accepted treatment out of several hundred. In the past three months, there have been almost 600 total drug-related arrests. And people can be arrested multiple times, for the record, but that's probably not the bulk of these arrests. Mm -hmm. So when we say offers of treatment, Aldo, what are we talking about here? What's what's the offer? And also, what happens when people say no? When people say no, obviously, the government can't compel them to take any treatment. So a lot of the time, you see them go through the court system and then be let out based on the lack of severity of the crime, I guess. In terms of what people are being offered, there are several programs within the jail system, within jail health, that people can take advantage of. One of them is very similar to AA. Because people are separated by gender, they, you know, men have one and and women have another. And there are also sort of outpatient treatments that you can be referred into, or there are court diversion programs that you can go into. Instead of going to jail, you go into some of these treatment programs. So you get arrested, probably for drug use, not for Mm -hmm. dealing. You get offered, hey, do you want to go to this jail-based AA thing? And you're like, nah, I'm good. And then they send you through court, and the court's like, well, you're not being accused of dealing anything. It's kind of not that severe a crime. You know, get out of here. You're, You're released. Exactly. And then if you say, yes, okay, I will accept something, then you go into this program for the duration of your stay in jail. Correct. And if you go into a, a like diversion program because maybe your crime is a little bit more severe and you could be facing prison time, you basically end up with a choice between prison or drug treatment. Exactly. I would say that there's definitely some staffing issues at jail health, which they have pointed to. Actually, in the conversation that was recently had about the opening of wellness hubs, Supervisor Matt Dorsey thought about maybe pulling the money from those wellness hubs and putting it into jail health. And jail health was very clear that 
more money isn't going to really do anything because they already have funding that they are not able to use because they can't hire people. In fact, one of the solutions that were brought up in in the story about the arrests was potentially putting beat cops on corners to make sure that people don't deal drugs, don't do drugs in certain areas. But as the police department told me, they simply don't have the resources to do that. This latest effort, which is one of, I think, several crackdowns, involves the state. Governor Gavin Newsom sent in the California Highway Patrol and the National Guard. Why are local, state and federal agencies all ramping up their work in San Francisco right now? What's driving these actions? I mean, I think it's the severity of the crisis that we're seeing on the streets, the the kind of concentration of so many drug users and so many drug dealers in two very specific areas. Usually it's south of market and the tenderloin that we're really looking at. That's certainly what the city has focused on. The problem is just too visible, I think, in some of these very dense neighborhoods where a lot of people live. A cynical person might add that Mayor Breed is running for re-election next year and thus might feel the need to show the public that she is doing something about this crisis. And she has called on the state government for help. So I would say that she played a role in facilitating this deployment, Mm -hmm. CHP. Mm -hmm. Not to mention for Gavin Newsom, this is certainly an issue that needs to be solved. Once he gets more into the national limelight, people are going to ask questions about the city where he was mayor and then state policy that he could have done to actually fix some of the issues on the street in the Tenderloin and Soma. This isn't the first time officials have ramped up law enforcement in this neighborhood, but it's a bit different this time. We'll talk about how after a break. You're listening to Fifth Admission. You can support the newsroom that creates this podcast by signing up for unlimited access at sfchronicle.com slash pod or by downloading the San Francisco Chronicle app. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Susie Nielsen and Aldo Toledo, we've been talking about the latest in a series of initiatives in the Tenderloin to address the drug crisis. Is this crackdown distinct from the other ones that we've seen? Has it sort of been one long stretch of, you know, declaring an emergency and adding personnel and adding more police attention and now adding CHP and the National Guard? Or are they separate efforts where it was like, well, we tried this. The results were mixed. We're trying this other thing now. See how that goes. Then let's try something else. You know, I think the city has definitely taken a tough approach in the past. During the 1990s, for example, there was the the war on drugs and there were certainly a lot of arrests of both users and dealers that were making headlines similar to today. Since the war on drugs, a lot of experts and there's been a lot of scholarship on the fact that some of these strategies don't actually work to get people both into treatment or get drug dealers to stop dealing drugs. I think the difference now is that we have all of these experts saying that this isn't a good idea, but we have the government going sidestepping that and saying, we're going to take a tough on crime approach anyway. 
Well, I'm glad that you brought this up because this is actually controversial, not just in, in the public, but in City Hall itself. Like different departments have different approaches to these things. Can you tell me more about that? Yeah, I mean, I think that really speaks to the way that Mayor Breed governs the city. And I think you're right. There's definitely certain departments like the Department of Public Health that has taken a completely different approach to this issue. They would say that offering people treatment as many times as, as possible and making sure that they have avenues to get treatment is a much more better solution than arresting them and using incarceration or the jail to do that work. And why do they say that? Because at this point, it sounds like we are offering treatment when we're arresting people. The issue, though, is that a lot of the time when people refuse help in jail, it's because they want to get out of jail. <laughs> it's because they don't want to be in jail. They don't want anything to do with incarceration. And even accepting treatment there, you know, isn't attractive, isn't an attractive solution for them. So when you're offering them in a compassionate way on the street, they're more likely to accept treatment. And the Department of Public Health has made that very clear. Even Dr. Hillary Kunins recently said during an update on overdose deaths in the city, Dr. Hillary Kunins is the director of behavioral health, and she says it's actually detrimental to arrest drug users. She made it very clear that there's mixed results for arresting folks that use drugs, and that actually it could be detrimental, it could paradoxically lead to higher rates of overdose among drug users who are arrested. The involvement of other agencies is something that has really stood out to observers. Susie, is the increase in arrests mostly driven by CHP and the National Guard? No. Short answer. So the data that we looked at, which is from the district attorney's office, lets us break down arrests by which department you know made the arrest. And it shows that over the last couple of months, CHP has made less than 10% of the arrest. And I think, you know, that makes sense. It's just a pretty small contingent of CHP officers that are going to the Tenderloin. But it's something like, I think at the height of this crackdown, which was in July, there were maybe 16 arrests presented by the CHP. So, you know, less than one a day. Interesting. What are all those arrests doing to the city's jail population? Are we stuffing our jail full? And we were just talking about how the sheriff's office is understaffed. Do we have the resources to accommodate that population? Yes, the jail population has been going up over the last couple of months. Before this crackdown, it was, you know, in 750 to 850 range, which was pretty consistent with where it's been since the pandemic began. So it's back up now to about a thousand people. And for context, that's actually a lot lower than it's been pretty much in any time in San Francisco's recent history. So before COVID happened in March 2020, the jail population was like 1,250, and that was lower than it had been previously. So 1,000 isn't a crazy number of people to be incarcerated or detained in San Francisco. But as you pointed out, the sheriff's office right now is struggling with a staffing crisis, and there have been a lot of stories about how the jail has had to cut off all of its programming. So, you know, some of these drug treatment programs, potentially, because there are not enough employees to run the programs. So people who are detained in the jail will just have to sit in their cells all day, which is not the most rehabilitative environment. Back out on the streets, Aldo, you went to the Tenderloin Museum. We are lucky enough to have a whole museum dedicated just to the Tenderloin you went there, you talked with their program director about the war on drugs. 
What did he tell you about what that looked like at the time for people living in the Tenderloin? Well, I think he really put into context the amount of police crackdowns that the neighborhood has seen throughout its entire history. I mean, we're, the Tenderloin is called the Tenderloin because of a very famous story about police officers on the beat in the neighborhood getting so many bribes and, and so much money on the side that they're able to buy Tenderloin at the supermarket. This neighborhood has really been a target for a lot of policing in this city for over a century at this point. And the last crackdown that we really saw was the war on drugs. And that's when you saw a lot of police officers doing the kind of thing that, that you're seeing now at a higher rate, definitely, and a government that completely backed it. So unlike what you're seeing now with some parts of the government saying that things are, you know, that these strategies don't work, everybody was pretty much on board that we needed to arrest drug users and dealers at that point. You talk to someone who is now a very influential figure in the neighborhood who argues that just because we've seen this before doesn't mean that it has zero good effects. Tell me about him. I spoke with Del Seymour, who's the founder of Code Tenderloin, and he was arrested himself in the Tenderloin during the 90s for using drugs. And he told me he was arrested several times because of it. And it was actually being arrested and being in the legal system that kind of made him go into treatment. So he actually told me that if it weren't for some of these arrests, he might still be doing drugs today. He might not have ever gotten treatment or, or sort of improved his life in, in the way that he has. Mm -hmm. We've already mentioned the mayor and her involvement in this. She's really been leading the charge on many of these initiatives. And although you actually pressed her on how few people had accepted treatment after arrest, she's also been confronted with what business owners and residents of the Tenderloin are saying because they're not seeing results yet and they're really impatient to see them. What was her response? She said that she'd spoken with a lot of people in the neighborhood and that she's gotten kind of a mixed response from people. She made it very clear that her strategy wasn't only to arrest drug users and dealers, but to actually clean up the streets. I think that's what she's really been focused on in the past few months in her remarks, is making sure that people know that you know anything goes is not the way in San Francisco anymore, that this isn't a place that you can openly do drugs on the streets. And that folks who actually do drugs on the streets here should be worried about potential repercussions to that and that they shouldn't be feel so comfortable doing drugs in the open. She said that this number, small number of people accepting treatment in jail, you know, people are finding their own way to treatment and that her administration's goal is to be ready when they do make that choice for treatment. But she made it clear, like I said, that it's not just about treatment. It's about making sure people know that it's not OK to do drugs in public anymore. Do we expect any reports or metrics to be published by the mayor, or by the highway patrol or by the National Guard or this joint operations center that we have or any other agencies looking at setting metrics for success and looking at the effectiveness of this approach? I expect many reports to be published about the number of drugs seized, the number of people arrested, the, you know, number of people dispatched to the area. I personally, just based on my past experience looking at these tenderloin initiatives, I don't expect a lot of reports to really track success in the way that we might want them to track it. Like, you know, is there visible reduction in these issues? Are you know, shopkeepers feeling safer? 
has the number of overdose deaths been reduced? You know, I think that's the biggest metric we should be thinking about. We have this humanitarian crisis unfolding on the streets, like two people now are dying of drug overdoses a day in the city, largely in the Tenderloin. Aldo, anything you want to add about what you'll be keeping an eye on to measure the success of this initiative? Yeah, I mean, I think the political ramifications of all of this are going to come into play very soon, especially ahead of the election. And certainly, you know, Supervisor Dean Preston has made it very clear that he doesn't agree with Mayor Reed's policy. They've been fighting each other for years uh, mm-hmm. at this point. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. And actually, on Tuesday, we're going to have a conversation in the Board of Supervisors with the mayor about public safety. So very likely that these crackdowns will come up. And then in turn, a lot of the sort of policies will come downstream of that. But you you are seeing kind of the division between the mayor's office and the board of supervisors become way more clear. Well, I'm sure you'll both be keeping a close eye on what happens there. Thanks so much for talking with me. Thank you, Laura. Thanks, Laura. Aldo Toledo covers City Hall, and Susie Nielsen is a data journalist. Find their story, which also describes how the city's top prosecutor is coming at this issue, at sfchronicle.com. Thanks to Sarah Feldberg for editing this episode, Gary Baca for mixing the audio, and thanks to you for listening. <laughs> <laughs>